Hello and welcome to the As of Yet Unnamed podcast. I am your host, Kimberly Anderson. Today I get the tremendous pleasure of interviewing Chelsea Nicole. Chelsea is a TikTok therapist. Rather, she is a therapist who has a TikTok account. She's not endorsed by TikTok. None of us are. In any case, she's a remarkable clinician, phenomenal content creator. She happens to be someone that I really look up to and admire her work, her professional work, her self-care, her just incredible devotion to providing solid content for people on TikTok. And I have the unique pleasure of being able to interview her this morning. And I want to share with you about 60 minutes of, of what we had, uh, what we talked about. Thanks for listening. Let's, I want to honor your time today. <laughs> and on a personal note, thank you. Of course. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Just for being the guinea pig. I know. <laughs> so there like may... it won't be that bad. No, I don't think so either. I want this to be totally unscripted. Okay. Totally unplanned. I was going to start taking notes, but I'm like, no, Kimberly, <laughs> resist, resist the urge to take right? notes. Resist the urge to plan and organize. Uh-huh. No, we're not going to do that. I want this to be one shot, one take, no edits, conversational style, blah, 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 blue, blah, blue. <laughs> now, if, if the light fan falls off of the ceiling or if a car crashes into the building, right. you know, we, we could edit those kinds of things. Heaven forbid a tornado swoop down and take one of us away. Yeah. Okay. okay. I can do that. Oh, you know, let me turn off like, <laughs> turn off TikTok notifications and all that stuff. Turn off, 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 off. All right. Let's see. Okay, cool. Hi. Um, super raw, super nervous. Actually, am I nervous? No, I'm not nervous. I'm just, <laughs> I'm conscientious that this is the first episode of a podcast that is as of yet unnamed. And the potential name may be called Therapist on Therapist. We might go with that name. We might not. The proverbial we. In any case, welcome to the untitled podcast as of yet untitled podcast that might be called Therapist on Therapist. And my first guest is the one, the only fabulous, uh, Chelsea. Hello. I, I'm, I'm, I, it's a rare moment for me to be tongue-tied. Hello. <laughs> so th thank you for joining me. Uh, I want to set up for the viewers, listeners, just really quickly what this is all about. My goal with the podcast is to destigmatize mental health. Uh, I've met the, the most amazing community of therapists on TikTok. And uh, I am lucky to be taken into their community with really open arms and considered kind of an equal uh, and no one ever belittles me and no one ever shouts me out or calls me out. And everyone just is like, oh yeah, Kimberly's part of us. This is really cool. And maybe this is my attempt to be a legitimate therapist because I am a baby therapist. This is only my second year of practicing. So part of the podcast for me is to destigmatize mental health and understand what therapists are, what, who they are, what they do. I also like the idea of having a one hour edit, I'm sorry, a one hour take with no edits. So you're gonna hear me stumbling and mumbling and you might hear my doobity doos and blah, blah, blahs come out. <laughs> but I really wanna have zero edits. I wanna have it be a raw conversation. This serves two purposes. This shows people what it's like to have uh, vulnerability and transparency. It also shows people that I can do something that doesn't have to be perfect. I like the idea of embracing imperfection. In my previous career as a photography professor for 10 years, I embraced imperfection and we uh, celebrated that and we honored that as part of the learning process. So I want this to be part of that as well. And I've talked now for just over two minutes. So I have actually, I have a timer set. So we're going to aim for about an hour. <laughs> so listeners, thank you for putting up with Kimberly's boilerplate introductory backstory on the podcast. Uh, I, I don't want to put this off any further. I want to meet you and I want to have everybody meet you. Uh, Chelsea, thank you so much again. And I, I don't, I want you to introduce yourself because I want to explore who you are on your terms. So take it away. Tell me who okay. You are. Well, thank you for having me. It's so nice to finally speak to you, not right. comments. Um, <laughs> and so we were talking I, about this, right? That this is, yeah. this is a podcast that we, that I conceived of and we arranged interviews in a virtual way, messages back and forth on TikTok. Yeah with our group of therapy 
people on TikTok. <laughs> but, okay, so I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna really try to shut up, and I'm gonna let you talk. Okay, go. Um, okay, so <laughs> I am a licensed independent social worker. Um, currently doing clinical therapy in a primary care office. Um, I've been doing therapy for five years. Wow, cool. Technically six years because of my internship too. Um, oh, I yeah, am, do we count the internship when we talk about how long we've been practicing? Does that count? I mean, I do because I did therapy the whole time. It was a year's worth of doing. Th- it was the same job I do now. So, okay, so maybe I can count my internship. I was working with children in an elementary school as the therapist yeah. on campus. Yeah, that counts. Okay, so cool. Say, Thank you. you. Can add that. <laughs> yeah, I'll add, I'll add a year. Because you were doing more. it. I, I was doing. I was charting. I yeah. Was, yeah, I'd have exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not everybody has that internship experience, but. If you had it, count it. I will definitely count. Thank you for giving me that permission. I've always wondered about that. Yeah, there you go. Okay, sure. so more about you. L-I-L-I-C-S-W? L-I-S-W. Technically, technically I'm L-I-S-W-S. So, Would you please explain? I, I don't know what these letters mean. I know a million I know. people don't. Will you please explain that? It's so strange how different every state is. Um, so mine, I'm in Ohio. So okay. Ohio, you are a licensed independent social worker. And I have the supervision designation, meaning I can provide supervision hours to oh, wow. people with their LSW, meaning licensed social worker, working towards their independent license. Is there an LISW without the S suffix on it? Yes. Okay. Yes. You have to have that first. You have to have that for a year, and then you have to take a supervision training, and then you can have the S designation, which allows you to um, supervise other people for their hours. You don't have to have that to actually be a supervisor at an office. It just means you are allowed to provide those hours to people and you can charge whatever you want to charge. Hmm. So that's the sole reason I got it is I do a separate supervision group weekly for people going towards their independent license to give them the hours they need. And then I make money. <laughs> uh, and then let's be real. This is, we have to pay our bills. Yeah. It's a side job. It's a side. I work two hours a week and I make a couple hundred bucks a month off of it. And so that's a, a nice little, you know, padding to your bank account. Yeah. Gotta do what you gotta do. Thank you for sharing about the supervision. Um, I've recently applied to the PhD program at the university of Utah. And two of the people that I want to work under are actually doing uh, part of their specialty is offering training to become a supervisor. Mm, yeah. And what's uh, your license? I have a license in California. I am an AMFT, Associate Marriage and Family Therapist. Oh, okay. And in Utah, I'm a Marriage and Family Therapist intern. Okay. Yeah, and it's so, it's, it's, yeah, it's so really many weird. different licenses. It's mm-hmm. so like where I'm at, it's primarily either you're a social worker or a counselor. So like LPC or LSW. Okay. Yeah. And I probably actually will become a CMHC in Utah instead of chasing the MFT license in Utah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be easier for me to chase this, the clinical mental health counselor license in Utah because oh, the, the, okay. the requirements for Cal- state of California and the requirements for the state of Utah are, they don't line up exactly. Right. Well, and in, in my understanding, California's requirements are some of the hardest in the country, mm-hmm. which is because surprising. I went to right. Well, I went to USC online. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've talked. We so, have- yeah. So I, like a lot of their classes are geared towards meeting those requirements. And they mm-hmm. talked about that because all of my professors were in California. Um, so they geared it towards meeting those requirements. And there's, right. there's a lot. And there, there are laws and ethics. I, we had to take a law and ethics exam too mm-hmm. before, but it's open book. Like it takes you to the link that tells you the answer. I wouldn't have passed that if I had to know all that. <laughs> and as a marriage and family therapist, I don't think our law and ethics exam is open book. And mine, yes. mine is mine is coming up actually. I need to take, we have to take that within the first year. Although I got to tell you COVID and the whole telehealth thing, uh, the BBS in California, that's the Board of Behavioral Sciences. A lot of the regs have changed. A lot of things are in flux. There's a mm-hmm. lot of confusion among social workers, amongst marriage and family therapists, amongst uh, professional clinical counselors exactly what the regulations are. Certainly yeah. this, that is well beyond the scope of this podcast to clarify any of that. Cause I don't even know what they are. Yeah. So because I'm in that field, 
uh, I have to go figure. In fact, my license expires at the end of January. So we have how many days left? Six, five, five. Not that many. Not that many days left <laughs> to renew my life. I'm looking, looking it up on the on the on the shelf. Um, but yeah, this the whole journey is interesting. So you went to USC online. I went to USF in San Francisco. Oh, okay. Yeah, and our okay. I was I was in the satellite campus in Sacramento, and all of our okay. so it was two and a half uh, three three year program, and all of our classes were in person. Okay. I only missed one class. My truck broke down in Los Angeles, and I had to spend two weeks there getting it fixed. And so oh I actually gosh. had them set up the Zoom during class. So I zoomed into the into the class. Wow. Uh, I think was that my first or second year. Anyway, so I was doing I was doing Zoom classes before it was cool. Yeah, I was too. That's what all of ours ours was online because it's a it's a it was a virtual classroom. I was Ubering in San Francisco driving as an as a driver, and I met a lady who was um, part of that. Oh no no no, she was considering that USC online course. Okay. She was trying to decide which one she wanted to take, and that was an appealing option for her. Did you enjoy that program? I loved it. I I think that it gave me because I talked to other people in their programs. And it's just, I think it's, it completely prepares you to be a therapist. Right. I, they teach you CBT, problem solving mm. therapy, motivational interviewing, like they teach you so much, all of the theories and it's really, really hard. It's a difficult program. Right. And I think they purposely do that to kind of prepare you. This is a difficult job. And have so, you found that to be the case that being a therapist is a difficult job? I think it can be. I think it definitely can be based on based on a lot of factors. It depends on, you know, management, your caseload, the requirements, the environment, all of that. I've kind of had multiple different. So it okay, cool. Does me too. Tell me about your different experiences. Maybe we can compare and contrast those. Um, so my first before I was a therapist, I worked inpatient on a mental health unit. Oh, wow. Um, so that was like the worst. Um, what was that not, like? What was that environment like? Well, chaotic, obviously. Um, but it was made worse by management. The management mm. was highly abusive and unsupportive and Ooh, rough. It was rough. Um, but I was there for almost 10 years. Oh my gosh. I know. How did you do that? I don't know. 10 years I, of abuse I from know. management? Yes. I was a very angry person back oh. then. I was a very, it, it was very, it was difficult because I, then I started the grad school program and I needed a flexible schedule to be oh, able to right. fit in. So I could adjust my hours Okay, so, so wait was, a second. So you were working on a, on the floor of a behavioral health unit as a bachelor's student yes. prior to getting your master's. Okay, what yes. was your capacity? Were you floor staff? Were you support? What were you doing? Yes, I was. I was what we call a psychiatric technician. Okay. So that means you're checking on the patients. You're doing. We did groups. It was highly inappropriate, actually, because they had people doing groups that I was qualified to do it because I like I had a bachelor's in psychology. Mm-hmm. And I researched the groups and I wanted to do it because I was invested in the mental health field, but they had people doing groups that should not have been doing groups that didn't know what they were doing. Um, was that frustrating for you to watch that? I think at the time I didn't really think about that, but now looking back, it's like, wow, that was, hmm. that was not okay. There was a lot of not okay things there. Um, but that I think motivated me to get my master's to get out, to be able to, because realistically with your bachelor's, you can't do a whole lot. Right. So I had to get a master's and get out. And I did. And then I went to a second place that was highly different. I, my friends that I worked with on the mental health unit, we kind of all joke, like we got a little bit PTSD from that because any that may not be a joke though honestly like anytime my manager would ask to talk to me I'm like I'm gonna get written up what did I do mm-hmm. I did something wrong and it was never it was never anything um I still have a little bit of that to be honest but that would be CPTSD right <laughs> right and I'm so, not here to diagnose you that's not that's, yeah 
but it definitely, I mean, it was, it was a very, it was a very upsetting experience. So then I moved to a new place where I was, I had before been working with adults and then I moved to working with kids Mm. and had an amazing, supportive, wonderful boss. That's actually one of my friends now. I love that. Um, Yeah. She's so, and that, that place, the place that I last worked, um, I had wonderful managers that makes a world of difference when they can be supportive. Um, we would have a hard day cause we did, we did, um, PHP with kids, okay. partial hospitalization, two and a half, three hour groups with some rough kiddos. The group um, was that long. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was after school. So we would have to go pick them up from school, take them to our, um, building, do the group and then take them home. Okay. Like a, so on, in was, a bus or in your personal vehicle? No, in a van. We had vans through the company. Wow. Um, yeah. So I, that was a little rough, but we would have a rough day and my, my boss would text us and, and say, you know what? It was a rough day and these kids learned they can act a fool and pe- there are people out there that won't harm them. Mm. And I was like, that really just, like, I would come home just exhausted and she would text stuff like that. And it just was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I needed that. Don't you love like supportive supervision? Oh, it makes such a huge difference. Cause I think if I had had that on the inpatient unit, I, it would have made a world of difference. It would not have been as difficult. It's I, huge. I asked a former, well, she was a professor of mine for three classes at school and then she was my clinical supervisor during my internship. I asked, actually asked her for a letter of recommendation for this PhD program. And we had a talk on the phone and she just reminded me of all the growth I've made and all the work I'd done. I, Chelsea, I, I broke down. It was in like an emotional, it was like therapy. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And and my my current supervisor now is like, I think they're the same person. I think that like a lightning bolt struck and cleaved one person, one perfect woman into two different people <laughs> because half of that person is in Utah as my supervisor, half of that person is in California and was my supervisor. And it's just, and I've been in those, I, I worked RTC in uh, California for a year and a half and it was a challenge. Mm-hmm. Workload was high, demands were unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes support was not there or it was um, lukewarm at best. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's uh, amazing. The supervision and just the culture can change everything. Oh, it makes makes a total difference. I was doing, I had my supervision group on Sunday and I was meeting with a new person and we were talking about clients and she said something about, is it weird that like, I don't really like working with this population, like a certain population. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, we all have that. And I've had plenty of clients that I genuinely don't like. <laughs> and that's maybe a surprise for people listening that are kind of. Yeah, because I think realistically, <laughs> we're not going to like everyone we work with. We don't have to. You can still do your job. It, it's been very few. It's been mm-hmm. very few. It still has happened. Um, just and she was like, oh. Thank you. I felt like a terrible person. <laughs> oh wow! So you gave her permission to yeah, be a human yeah, being? right. Exactly. Exactly. We can't. We as humans cannot like every single person we meet, and there's right. going to be clients like that. Um, I think most of mine have been on the narcissistic spectrum. Um, that would be difficult for me to work with that person as well. Right. So it it happens. And you still do your job, right? You know? But just to have that normalization, like it's okay to to have a preference or to not like certain things you're working with, and all of that. Like it just this it happens. Is, this is reminding me of a class that we took, um, ironically taught by that same supervisor. Uh, it was kind of a social work class where we learned about. Uh, services in the community, what was available, uh, resources for for different types of of clients. And we went to a facility in Sacramento. I can't even remember what it was called. My classmates, if they ever hear this, they will slap me. It was a a facility for people who were leaving jail or leaving prison. 
Mm-hmm. They were taught um, vocational skills. They had CBT, DBT groups. Um, <clears throat> they even, you know, had provided housing. Like or, a halfway house? Uh, it seemed like it was a halfway house, but it was more, <clears throat> excuse me, it was more than that. It was like, it had, had the full-on therapy support. It had the full-on mm-hmm. vocational support. And we heard from several of the clients who had been inmates, mm-hmm. who had that, in, you know, history of incarceration. And I, I, as, as a trans woman, I was sitting in that room and this is going to blow my bias out of the water and I'll just be very raw. I was very nervous considering that there may be a day that I had to work with that population. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, in those moments were thinking to myself, why am I feeling, I was just examining it, you know, DBT thing, mm-hmm. not judging it, just examining it and thinking, well, why wouldn't I feel safe with this population? And it really um, kind of boiled down to, you know, personal safety, bias, prejudice, um, transphobia, homophobia, because there's no way that I can hide this about myself forever. You know, you're around me for very long. You're going to know this about me. Mm-hmm. And I know that in, in the prison population, uh, trans people and, and people that are queer or gay, it's not a very happy place to occupy. And as a clinician, I always wondered if I would be able to be taken seriously mm. at all or even yeah. be safe. And I actually left that day of class feeling kind of guilty. Like, seriously, I was feeling guilty. Like, Kimberly, what is your problem? Yeah. You're supposed to to be able to get over all of this and be this superhuman person that can work (laughs) with any population. And it actually took me a while. So I think somebody had to grant me permission as well to be like, no, you Mm -hmm. don't have to work with this population. Mm -hmm. It was a, it was kind of an eye opener for me. I have to admit I think, I think there is this perception out there. And I think we do see this on TikTok, like your therapist, like you're supposed to, right? you know, and you're supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do this. And like, I'm not being a therapist doesn't make you superhuman and, and void of any emotions or memories or triggers or right. anything like that. Has that ever been used against you? This pedestalization of your yes. therapist? Yes. Oh, yes. What has that been like? I mean, I don't want you to, I don't want to be like open up a box or Pandora's or whatever, but. Well, I think it depends on the, a lot of times I just find it funny because like, I think, cause there was one time that my husband and I were in an argument and I, when I'm in an argument, I do tend to (laughs) use some therapy tools. You don't say. Right. And then he'll, he made the comment of like, okay, therapist. And I said, well, Ooh, yeah, I am a therapist. Thank you. Like, yes, that's a fact. That's not an insult. <laughs> snap, snap, snap. <laughs> uh, but it's, I don't know. I just find it funny that it's its used either as that kind of label or as you're a therapist. How dare you do A, B, and C, say something? Because um, that's not our identity, you know, it's, it's what we do. I think it's definitely a part of us. Like for me, I, I'm a person I'll have friends. Talk, I've had friends talk to me about something and I'll say something and they're like, can you not social work me right now? Oh, wow. Yeah, and yeah. I say like, I can't turn it off. I mean, you're going to get the truth from me. If you don't want that, you don't have to come to me about this, mm. you know? So I, I think it is kind of a part of me and it's not all of me. Right. Thank you. Has that made your social circle smaller? Well, I will say, I think every, almost every one of my friends is a therapist. So. Do you like that? I mean, it's fine with me. (laughs) Because I'm finding that's very true with me. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people, but the people that I really consider my friends, the people that I can like call 24 seven, yeah. They're all therapists. And I kind of joke. All, all, mine are all therapists. They're all therapists. And we, we, I, it is a joke. It's funny because we, that's who you mesh with because you do have similar interests, typically similar personality traits. And there's kind of a nice idea that there's a boundary, a safe boundary. Like this is the safest of safe places, mm-hmm. the inner, inner circle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. What else do we need to know about you? What's your favorite ice cream flavor and what's your favorite color? 
that's like my boilerplate question I love to ask. Okay. Um, I think my favorite color is pink. Hmm. What shade of pink? Um, now we're getting picky. Like Because I can't tell color theory. Medium pink. Oh, Pepto-Bismol pink? Yeah. Yes, that's yes, that's okay. a good description. So breast cancer awareness pink. Right. Have you ever seen Steel Magnolias? <gasps> oh, I know. Oh no. Okay, for your listeners out there, they will understand the reference to Julie Roberts' character. Pink is my signature color. Okay, so is that like the the L in um oh the movie where she's a bimbo and becomes a lawyer and she always Oh, pink. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um oh the bend and snap. Oh, um, Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde. Is it the same pink? Yes. I think that one's like a little brighter. Okay. So medium pink. <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of shades of pink. Uh, there is. There is. That's fair. That's fair. I I don't really, I'm not a big ice cream person. So I don't, I can't even remember last time I had ice cream. People are fainting right person. now. People are fainting right now. I mean, it's it's okay. It's just not my thing. What do you go for? if you Instead of reaching for ice cream, what do you reach for? Wine and gummy bears. Ooh. That's a one-two punch. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a Saturday my, night. Yeah. Yeah. I love gummy bears. Is there a specific, I mean, now we're going to get really super nerdy and picky. Is there a specific brand? There is a specific brand. I can't remember what it's called. I know it when I see it. It's the big white, it's a white bag. Yeah. I know it when a, I see it. I'm not a gummy bear aficionado, so I wouldn't know that particular. <laughs> uh, okay. So wine, red or white? White. Okay. Zin or shard? Zin. Okay. Warm or cold? Cold. I know a lot of people have feelings about that. I know. I know a lot of I people know. like to put ice in their red wine and some people faint. I know. I'm not an ice person. I don't do that. I just usually put it in the fridge, but if it's not in the fridge and if it's a little warm, I can still, I'll still drink it. Nice. Okay. Yes. Um, so no ice cream, duly noted, and medium pink. Wait, <laughs> I have a thing that's pink right here. Yeah, I see that. This is my little elephant prop that I use when I do sessions sometimes to talk about the elephant in the room. Oh. <laughs> and the, the color is actually kind of wonky on Zoom, but it's kind of that medium pink. Yeah, that's a good color. Yeah. I also have my F-bomb. I know, I saw that too. I think these are, my friend April makes these. They are, I was going to say, I feel like you made a video about that. That's so uh, the funny. unboxing was, it was like the most glorious oh, day of okay, my life. Okay. No, that's yeah. I love that. And I like to put it right there. So people can see that I'm not, a, like not afraid perfect. of dropping an F bomb. Right. It's perfect. The print. It's not really a printer. It's actually a prop stand. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it looks it, like it, a it printer. Is a, it is a printer, but it's okay. out of ink. And I don't even know that it's actually plugged in. Is it plugged in? Let's find out. Oh, no, it's not even plugged in. <laughs> I have a printer right by me, too. That's funny. Oh, we, all the nerd stuff we have to have. Well, yeah, working from um, home. Oh, tell, let's talk about that. So you do, have you worked in, the, in a clinic in the past and then COVID made it shift or, or have you always worked from home? So I, I started at my current job literally last April. Oh, geez. So <laughs> right in the middle of it. Oh, my gosh. Um, so they had just shut everything down in Ohio. Did Ohio shut down early or late? Ohio was one of the first to shut down. Okay. Ohio shut down like mid-March. So I had to start my job at home and do everything remotely. So it was a bit of a mess. Um, we went back to the office in the summer, I think July. And then November, they said, okay, go home. Oh, wow. We're not doing this again. So... I've been working from home since the end of November and we have no return date. We, we don't know. We haven't, they haven't said anything. We are getting the vaccines or they are offering them. Um, have you had your first or second shots yet? I had my first one. I get my second one next week. Oh, cool. So you're probably, I think you're about two weeks, maybe a week or two ahead of me. Okay. I, I'm eligible to get my second shot on February 9th. Okay. Yeah. Mine's scheduled, I think for next Tuesday. What's that like for you to, to have lived through this, see the vaccine on the horizon, having it actually injected into your body? I was a little, 
Yeah, I was a little nervous because I do watch a lot of zombie movies. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so catastrophization like the, running rampant. The whole here. I am legend thing was running through my yes. brain. I'm like, somebody, you know, just pay attention. If I turn into one, you know what to do. Um, just, just, just take care of you. Take you out. Yeah, yeah, they will. So it's fine. But then I had to re reorient and. <laughs> recognize the ridiculousness and just do it. Check the facts, check the facts, check the facts. <laughs> exactly. And I was fine, no issues. My first shot, I, I was dizzy for a couple of hours, took a nap and woke up, I'm like, oh, boom. Oh, back. really? Now I've heard some people, so I got the Moderna Moderna vaccine. I've heard some yeah, people say the, sec, the second, uh, second um, vaccination is kind of a butt kicker. So I'm kind of- I've heard that too. Yeah. The first one, I just, I got mine, I think at around 5.30 at night. And around eight or nine, I was exhausted. Oh, uh-huh. I just passed out. And then the next day I was fine. So not funny. Yeah. I got mine I in the know. morning and I think I had a similar experience, but I just took a long nap instead of going to bed. Right. I think I think I've heard the gambit of people how they feel. I've heard people getting lots of headaches and fevers, people having no issues. My mm-hmm. arm was crazy sore to the touch like it hurt to touch it wow it was very painful for a day or two um but then it was fine so i don't know we'll see yeah uh, and you're a frontline worker so take care of the guide right and then you can help save the clients right yeah i'm not sure i don't know who all on my team because it we work for like primary care offices but it's scattered throughout oh, right. the county. So there's a lot of different therapists. There's usually one or two therapists per office. So I'm not sure who has gotten it because we're all kind of on our own oh, drifting about. The staff here where I work, we've, we all kind of coordinated loosely. Um, we didn't have anybody come in. We actually had to approach the Salt Lake County Health Department and we in individually had to go out and get vaccinated. And we all did on the mm. first day that we were eligible. And I think we're all within a day or two of being eligible for the second dose. Okay. Um, okay, so I didn't want to talk about COVID today, but that's interesting. I mean, this is what we're going through. So let's, I mean, it's on the it's table. It's life right? right now, you know, yeah. it's it's unavoidable. Right. Um, so the telehealth, did that change? I mean, you worked you worked for a long time, not as telehealth. How have you felt that it's changed your practice? I think there's definitely pros and cons. I have a few people that I have one client, she's 17, that she forgets every session. So I oh call gosh. her, she says, oh, I'm, I know I'm getting on, I'm getting on. I said, it's a good thing it's telehealth because you would not show to these appointments. Um, so there's definitely pros. I've had quite a few clients that tested positive. So then Same. again, mm-hmm. we can do this it does have a lot of benefits. It does make it a lot easier. And I, my internship in grad school was actually telehealth the whole time. So Mm. I, that's how I started doing this. Yeah. So it's not, it's not really that bad for me. I definitely prefer in person um, because there's certain things I like, if I'm, if we're taking notes, if we're, if we're talking about something in session, I will typically write stuff down for the person. Okay, here's what we talked about. Do this, hand it to them. So now I'm just emailing things or, you know, it's not the same. I miss the ability to do worksheets in person with people. I miss the ability to do art therapy in person with people. Um, Yeah, it is. I do have a lot of, like I have a sand, um, a little, what's that? Like a mindfulness sand tray, like a mindfulness one with the Zen Oh, the garden type thing. Thing. Zen garden thing. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I have that in my office. I have little things in my office that it's just nice to have to give us an option. So you don't have that either, just a different environment. Um, and well, also the privacy. Full of art stuff that I can't even touch. Right. Right. And I had a few people that can't do telehealth because of privacy issues. Um, so, you know, it's, it's give and take. Do you think you'll lose some clients when we go back to, to in-person or will you be able to do a mix? I was still doing a mix when we went back to the office. I was still doing a mix. And I think I don't see insurances taking this away anytime I soon. I don't see how they can. So, right. And I think there's too many benefits to it. I would, I kind of feel like this might stay, hopefully. 
I mean, as a permanent uh, option. Right. My my experience with you know being a provider is very young, uh, and I I mean just in the few years that I've been th- three in the three years I've been doing this now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank, thank you, Chelsea. Uh, I, I think um, I can only see this blowing up even bigger. I can see there being like in the next five years legislation to kind of undo state boundaries. Well, that's been a barrier too. I had I had one client that. I was seeing in person in Ohio, she was traveling to move to Florida Mm. and we had to, it took weeks to figure out if I could see her. Right. Ultimately I cannot. Um, Florida has some really weird laws about that. Um, So I couldn't see her. So she had to, she wanted some, she wanted me to help her through the transition before she found her own person. Is it 90 days? Some States have 60, 90 days. Florida is weird. They require you to have a designated provider there like that is approving of your services. That's almost like TRICARE's requirements for telehealth. I just, and I said, I don't, I don't know anyone in Florida. I don't know how I'm supposed to get that. Mickey Mouse is in Florida. (laughs) The the, the Gators are in Florida. I don't know much about Florida. I don't know. So I couldn't do that. Um, but it, it is very particular when I did. So when I did telehealth for my internship, I was in Ohio, all of the clients were in California. Oh, so you had to have, so you had to have, I had to have a California special NPI, I think, Uh but the telehealth company did that all for me. So it was just a matter of hours. It actually worked out really well because I could do, I could work full time and then come home and do four hours of internship, like six to 10 at night because they were, that for them was three to seven. Right. Yeah. We actually probably had a pretty similar experience as far as hours and requirements uh, to graduate and qualify for yeah. BBS. Yeah. I think it, I think the hourly requirements in terms of internship and all of that is relatively similar. Oh, but you state. did social work track and I did MFT track. I think they're pretty similar. Probably. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking in the back of my head, Kimberly, get to these questions before you forget to get to these questions. <laughs> I, I, so two things I want to make sure we talk about, and then maybe it's something that you want to make sure you talk about. Again, being unscripted. I want to know about your journey to becoming a therapist, what your motivation was. That's a common TikTok thing people want to mm-hmm. know. It is. Um, and then I want to hear about disclosure. How do you feel about self-disclosure? Oh, yeah, sure. Those are good. Um, so my journey to be a therapist, I started off interested in mental health in my high school. My high school had a psychology class. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Right. And so I took that, fell did in you, love with it. Did you grow it. up in Ohio? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Small town, Bryan, Ohio. Um, it's home of the Etch-A-Sketch. That's where the Etch-A-Sketch is made, just in case. Don't say that when I'm drinking a drink of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> home of the etches. Okay, what was the mascot? The mascot. Were you like the etchers or something? Oh no, nobody cares. Nobody Byron, cared. And nobody Hunters. cared until Toy Story came out. And then it was a big deal. Uh, right. So we were like the golden bears or something stupid. Nobody cared. But that's where I just got the made. people who went to UCLA. <laughs> so I um fell in love with psychology. I went to undergrad in psychology. No idea what I was gonna do with that. Didn't didn't know. But hold you that direction enough to commit at least four years of school. Yes, I definitely knew I wanted something in the mental health field. I just didn't know what. Uh Um, And I wasn't interested in anything else. Oh. So isn't that interesting? Sometimes a default for your bachelor's degrees, you can't figure out what to do. And that's the only thing you can do. I didn't know. But then I got lucky and I got a job as a working on a skilled nursing facility doing discharge planning things like that. Okay. And then the same hospital I worked at opened the mental health unit. So I went there and then. So you had kind of dipped your toe and discharge planning is actually an important part of treatment. I discharge planning for me when I was doing residential mm-hmm. was hard stuff. According yeah. I did not like it. Services were avail- it's hard because sometimes I did not available. like that job. Yeah. yeah. No, I didn't like it. Um, and then working on the mental health unit, I think through all of the difficulties it really does teach you a lot and working with the social worker on that unit, who's actually one of my closest friends, um, 
that taught me about therapy, mental health. And we talked about, you know, I wanted to go to grad school. I actually almost went to grad school for counseling right after undergrad, but they made you pick your focus, like marriage and family, substance, and something else. And I wasn't ready to pick yet. I didn't know which Mm -hmm. one I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I'm very glad I made that choice. That you didn't pick. Right. I took time. I learned what I wanted to do. I learned that I really do love just overall mental health. So then, and then in talking with the social worker that I worked with, learned social work is one of the better options because you can bill more insurances and it's a more versatile license. I did not understand that about becoming a marriage and family therapist. Nobody tells you that. In, in fact, when I was, when I started school uh, or just after I started school, I was offered a position at the Sacramento Native American Health Center and they wanted to bring me on as a intern, a therapist uh, intern. They couldn't pay me with federal funds because I was a marriage and family therapist and not a social worker. Right. Nobody tells you that when and, you're yeah. making all these choices. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I went to social work because the social worker I worked with okay. explained this to me. So then I the the social work program at USC you can choose your options. Oh, right. I think they have like mental health, child and family, something else. I can't remember what they have now. Um, so I went with mental health and then just kind of grew into it, you know, just over time. But working on the mental health unit really showed me that's what I wanted to do. Would you consider yourself a specialist or a generalist? Um, I mean, I definitely... I guess generalist. And maybe that's, definitely, not a, maybe that's not a fair question. I don't know. Well, I mean, I'll work, I can work with most populations. I don't have experience working with substance use. Yeah. Um, very little, very little experience working with eating disorders. Mm. Um, but I definitely specialize in anxiety and trauma. Oh, those, okay. those are my, give me those all day, every day. I hear you talk about polyvagal kind of yes yes a little bit in your tiktoks and i really appreciate that oh yes i love it it's so it's just it's it's so accurate so accurate and i've recently learned about it within the past year and i'm like whoa this is changing everything it does it changes it changes how you look at all of it and it changes i think how you look at the other diagnoses i mean in my experience i feel like 75 80 percent of the clients i get have trauma in oh, a lot of okay. them. Thank you. Yeah. Because I'm trauma informed and I'm learning about polyvagal and I'm working with an interesting community that that's, is traumatized. And I'm right. seeing people are coming to me with all kinds of diagnoses. And I'm thinking, kid, that to me sounds like PTSD. That to me sounds like complex PTSD. And so I've kind of been asking the therapist from time to time, tell me if bipolar is being misdiagnosed. Tell me if... Yeah. And, and so here I am ex- exposing yes. my ignorance to uh, a lot of things, but I am truly as now that I have some training and some experience, I'm seeing lots and lots of stuff is coming into my office or virtually that really is other symptoms that are being hidden or I'm sorry, it's trauma being hidden or, or um, misdiagnosed as other things. Well, in, in my experience, like I, the, I posted a video just about that, about bipolar versus PTSD. Oh, I need to go watch it again. I, I the response I that. that I got was overwhelming. I was not expecting, I mean, I knew it happened a lot, but the amount that it happened, the people commenting was upsetting. Oh, did um, this had happened to them? Yes. Many, many people were like, oh, oh, wait, 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 what? Wait, like, because it's not asked about trauma is not asked about and many people don't even recognize that they have trauma oh what two books do you go to all the time about trauma oh body keeps the score right there it's on the shelf right um i have the the book the deepest well oh i don't have that book oh so it, it, it it talks about it's actually written by a medical doctor and it talks about the connection between trauma and 
physical health issues. The deepest well. Okay. So somatization of trauma. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then Good I also have the, the, the polyvagal, actually I have it right here. Polyvagal the theory, polyvagal theory in therapy. I have that book on audio. Yep. It's a great. Oh, book. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great book. So yeah. But the, the, the Bible is the body keeps the score. Uh, the book, the second book that I kind of often re- recommend or prescribe on in quotes, because we can't really prescribe. I tell people, once you read The Body Keeps the Score, if you're, if you are a child or if you are a parent, please go read Parenting from the Inside Out by Dan Siegel. Oh, okay. Oh, and that, Dan Siegel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that helps yeah. you understand the trauma that you got from your parents and it helps you understand the trauma that you're giving to your children. Mm-hmm. Sometimes under the best of intentions, you don't understand that you're doing this. And that's what I tell a lot of clients you know, it's not purposeful. Usually it's Mm -hmm. just what people know you do. It's the intergenerational trauma. There's a really good, um, documentary about that, um, cracked, cracked up. I think it's, it's with, um, Daryl, Daryl Hammond, the SNL guy. Oh, really? he, He taught it's, it's amazing. He talks about his personal life history and the intergenerational trauma. I actually watched, um, a conference that had Daryl Hammond, Jane Fonda, Bessel van der Kolk. Wow. All talking about all of this. I was like fangirling. Seeing Jane Fonda all and Bessel van der Kolk talking about yes. trauma together. Oh my God. Yes. That was fucking awesome. <laughs> it's so great. I love Jane. Where can we see this? You can't. It was like, it was this thing for the crapped up, cracked up movie. They did this special. Um, I just randomly found it because I followed the cracked up movie, I think on Instagram. And then they, they, he, Daryl does these, these symposiums every once in a while. And it was a virtual conference and you got to sign up and be part of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. But they were talking about, oh, they were talking about intergenerational trauma in that conference. It was, it was, it was wonderful. She has a really good, there's a documentary about her. I am Jane. I think that's what it's called. And it talks all about her trauma life, which is a lot. What has, what has surprised you about TikTok? We've kind of referenced TikTok a few times, but this is how we met. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's what is surprising. I joined it in April because I was bored out of my mind. I was stuck at home. I'm a person that does stuff. My friends make fun of me because I. No, you do stuff. I'm always doing stuff. We see you doing stuff. Yeah. Right. You are amazing. I way. just, I like to be active. I like to go do things. And I was literally stuck at home, not allowed right. to do anything. I was bored. So I joined it. Um, Cause I was doing a bunch of stuff with my kids. Cause they were stuck at home, bored, going wild. Um, and then I think after a few months, I realized, Oh, Hey, let me make something about mental health. That'll be interesting. And then all of a sudden I just kept meeting all of these therapist on TikTok. I'm like, oh, this is weird. Okay. And then just over time it grows and you meet all of these people that it's a whole community. I have, I have gotten so many messages from people asking me questions or saying, oh my God, this video saved me. This helped me. I had one girl tag me in a video yesterday. I think it was Chloe. I can't remember who. Um, She had used a script that I had done a video about how to confront your therapist and she had texted it to her therapist yes. and it went beautifully. And she, oh, it just, it's so, it's so meaningful to be able to give that to people that I would never, I have one person that felt she's in London. I have a few. I love my UK friends. Right. It's, it's so, it's just so fascinating that, that you would join this random social media and meet people that you never otherwise would have met. And it's this whole just supportive community. Um, It's funny that you mentioned the script about confronting your therapist. I celebrated uh, one of my clients confronting me. I made a video about a TikTok about it. And one of the people that responded said that, I mean, we got into a little bit of a Q and a Mm-hmm. And they basically used that with their therapist. They were afraid to. And I said, no, no, yes. your, your therapist will be cool. Just yeah. conf- just talk to them openly about it. And they did. And they're like, oh yeah, it was, it went great. It was very beneficial. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And honestly, I think the TikTok therapists are, that we now are, you know, this friend, friend group, I think mm-hmm. it's more like a consultation group than a friend group. 
It's kind of kind Sometimes, of maybe a yeah. mixture of both. Yeah. Yeah, a mixture of both for sure. Because I think we all have different specialties. Like Desta and I both are DBT. Love Desta. Loves um, Christina. Mm-hmm. You know her. Yep. I'll just everybody. She called you her spirit animal, by the way. She always does. She's my spirit animal because we're like the same person. (laughs) But it's, it's just so, we all have different specialties. There's a few people that specialize in trauma or like, you know, all of like, there's a few, quite a few eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I love those specialized people Mm -hmm. that I learn from. Um, It's great. It's just, it's so fascinating. What have you learned? What have you learned as a clinician from TikTok that you might be using that you didn't know before or you didn't realize, but that you learned from TikTok? Um, oh, we talked, you asked me about self-disclosure. I think that's a big part of it too. I think because I definitely will self-disclose in sessions if it's, if I feel like the person, if it will help the person understand something or feel more normalized about their experience. Um, but I think in self I think it's helped me do that more mm. because people really want that. They need to know, like we were talking about earlier, we're human too. We experience emotions, problems, traumas, all of this. And I think that is one thing that has encouraged me to do it more often because, cause I don't like, it's, it's a fine line because I don't want to cross a line or take over and make it about me. Right. You know, so you have to kind of find the best way to do it. And that's dependent on the situation, on the client, on the material, the context, it's dependent on so mm -hmm. many, that's what I'm discovering anyway. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. We have, I was just checking my timer. We have 10 minutes and five seconds left. Okay. What, what, what I mean, thank you for everything that we've shared. It's been kind of a winding, meandering thing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that we ever that either one of us have covered anything that we really like had if we're thinking about what did we have to con- you know cover. I want to make sure that, that I give you a chance to cover if you had anything you specifically wanted to make sure that you included in this in this interview. Um I don't know. I think we've covered a lot. I think it's just important for people, like in the beginning, you talked about normalizing mental health therapy, all of that. I think it's very important for people to understand that in order for therapy to work, you have to be willing to expose yourself and be open and also do the work outside of session. You can tell which clients are doing the outside work and which aren't. Yeah. You can even yeah. tell the particular client when they're weeks that they've done the work and the weeks that they haven't. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's just important to know that if you if you seek therapy, if you need help, if you need medications, any of that, it's doesn't it doesn't mean you're broken or something's wrong with you. It just means this is a problem that you need assistance with. I you know? tell I tell all my clients that they're not broken. Right. I don't, I don't think you're, um, I don't think it's broken at all. I, there's a book, um, called that cracked, but not broken. I think it's by Kevin Hines. Hmm. Um, and it's about his journey. He's, he's a survivor of an attempt off the golden gate bridge. And oh, he, I, I know that name. Yeah. 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 He lives in, he lives in Northern California. I, yes. yeah, he lectures a lot. Yep. He came here. I saw him in person and met oh, him. Wow. Yeah, but I think it's a great reminder, you know, you can have problems. You're not broken. You just need help. It's, I, I have a lot of clients, they'll come in, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. Or I don't know if I want to take this medication. And I always, I always compare it to like diabetes mm. or cancer. You know, it's, it's if, if your doctor said you have diabetes, so you have to check your insulin and, or check your sugar and take insulin, would you question that? Well, no. Well, okay then. It's the same thing. Or get a pump and a port in your abdomen, next level right. stuff. Yeah. Right, right. And you wouldn't blame yourself for that. You wouldn't shame yourself if you had cancer and had to get chemo. You would do it and you would go and you would get support and and all of that. It's it's the same thing. It's not your fault. 
I love that phrase. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And as I've become more and more trauma focused and trauma aware, I'm using the phrase no wonder a lot. We talk about context of the client's life. We looked at ways that they've been affected, um, symptoms that are showing up in their you know, behaviors or, or other things. And I say, no wonder, no wonder you're challenged with this particular thing, because look mm -hmm. what has what has happened to you. Look what you've lived through that you didn't ask for, you didn't deserve, you weren't trained for, mm -hmm. you were not equipped at your developmental stage. Uh, yeah. no, no wonder these things are happening to you. This is not your fault. And I, t I think that's why I find something like polyvagal theory so mm -hmm. helpful mm -hmm. because then I can explain to them not only is it not your fault, this is why you are responding this way. This is why you have these freeze moments or these, you know, urges or these flights of anger or panic. Like this is why joining, you're having it. The compulsive joining. Right. It's or repetition compulsion. I was just mm -hmm. talking about that with somebody the other day. Um, it's, it all makes sense. Your body is responding technically in the way it was made to. It's just kind of it's not necessary now, but this is why this is happening and we can fix it. Sometimes I normalize that with humor and I'll say, congratulations. You have right. a healthy, functioning. your body's working. I do that too. <laughs> and I'll tell people too. System. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'll say, you know, I bet this, 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 and this happens. And they're like, yeah. How do you know? Right. right. That's what they, it, it all makes this connection. I've had quite a few people confused and surprised wait how do you know yeah yeah like right because that's what your body's working right it's just not helpful now <laughs> yeah I love that and there's a there's a great dbt assumption that says what happened to you is not your fault and it's your job to fix it oh I love that yeah I love Marsha Lenahan Oh yeah. One yeah. of my supervisors was trained by, by her. I get to brag that I was DBT trained by two people that work with Marsha. So oh, that is a brag. It that's is a, a brag. That's a therapist I'll, flex. I'll take it. It's a therapist flex. <laughs> I know. I didn't meet Marsha personally, but I met two people that worked with her. Now, isn't it funny so. that people sometimes will fangirl on the therapists, but the therapist will also fangirl on the other therapists. Of course. I mean, it's, it's, you know, so if you get lunch with Vander Kolk or Deb Dana or um, Lanahan, who would you have lunch with? Can it be a dialectic, would, all three? I would pick, I would pick Bessel. Yeah. I would. I mean, I love Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Right. But I would have to pick Bessel because it's just, I don't know. His book is, I think his book is, is life-changing. It was for me. Yeah, I that was the textbook that we used for our trauma class. Oh, cool. And yeah. I after one or two chapters of it was one of and here's the kind of student I was I didn't do all the readings. Who but after, does? Nobody you can't. <laughs> but after a couple of chapters of banging through that book, I'm like, this is a book I have to read, come mm -hmm. hell or high water. So I actually got it on audiobook. And I listened to the audiobook and read it and underlined it and rewound and rewound uh, a lot. Oh yeah, I have mine's highlighted. I put off I put off reading it for a while because I thought I know about trauma. I don't need to read this book. And then yeah, I read it. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah. shit, okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Next level. Oh yeah, totally. And I so think, I went from zero understanding of trauma to body keeps the score. Oh, it's oh, it's there's so much, and I think it's important. I am curious about the next round of the DSM because I really wish they would listen to him about the trauma section because the diagnosis is, th there should be more in there. So CPTSD, as we know, is not in DSM. Right. It's a ICD code, it's WHO, <laughs> but it's not a DSM code. I know. I hope that it's in there. I up. hope he had talked in that book about adding a more general, because there are times that I know people have like a, a, their, their problem is trauma, but I can't give them the PTSD diagnosis. Cause because they're not a singular maybe, event. Well, because they don't, I have one person that she literally doesn't remember. We know she has oh, trauma, right. but she doesn't remember. So she doesn't have nightmares or flashbacks. 
Okay, which is a major component of PTSD. Yeah, but everything else fits trauma. So I had to give her like other trauma disorder. Right. So he and he in the in the body keeps the score book had talked about adding another diagnosis that's a little it's like in between PTSD and adjustment disorder. Right. And they declined it. So and I would say the CPTSD is actually more insidious or more maybe. Right. I, that's like a step further. Right. Right. But, um, but I, I, I think the diagnosis I give the most is probably adjustment disorder. Because you can't, you don't feel comfortable giving PTSD. Right. Cause they don't fit criteria or it's the, cause there's just so many Nuance, PTSD, I think has yeah. the most requirements of any diagnosis and you have to fit it. To, I mean, I don't give a diagnosis unless they actually fit the criteria. Right. Um, so a lot of times I will give adjustment disorder and then maybe keep an eye on it. But but a lot of times it is adjustment disorder. Yeah. yeah. One minute, five seconds. Uh-oh. That was fast. Usually is. <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh, boy. Therapist on therapist. That was fast. It usually is. Okay. <laughs> we'll just get that elephant out of the room. That could be your tagline. <laughs> Why not? Oh gosh, this has been so fun. Uh, I kind of want to do another hour. <laughs> oh boy, it could be. That's what she said. I'll drink some coffee now. That's what she said. Good. You understand the office references then? Oh, I, how can you not? <laughs> There's people that don't culture. watch it. I know. I know people that have learned English by watching The Office. Great. And Simpsons and um, Friends. True. All my, all my, do you want to see what I have on my desk? Show me. Okay. It's a, it's a painted picture frame cutout thing, like a novelty thing you'd see at a party. Is there, is there a reference that I'm missing? You don't know this reference? Oh, there's my timer. I don't know this reference. Your, your listeners will understand. It's a yellow frame. It's from Friends. It was around there people in their door their purple door oh. with the yellow frame I, I saw it at a store a few weeks ago and I had to get it I literally did not need it but I had to get it I I, I kind of got turned off of friends when it turned a little transphobic oh did it oh yeah 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 there are some shows where looking back it's like Ugh. it's not quite the yeah you know what the will yeah. and grace is like that too Oh, really? I've never seen Will and Grace. I never got into that. Yeah, Will and Grace was like a groundbreaking thing for me understanding gay people, right? (laughs) I am am one. (laughs) Okay, we're at time and I want to make sure that I'm I'm holding myself accountable. Okay. I don't think, A, like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. B, thank you. And C, (laughs) can we be, can we like legit be friends? Because I... (laughs) We are friends. Oh, fangirl. <laughs> yes. What's, your, what's our checkout emotion if we're going to do a little DBT? What's our emotional checkout? Um, good, happy, chill. Same, same. And I same. said good, and then I'm like, no, I can't. I can't say good because that's technically not emotion. But yeah, where's our emotion wheel? I know. I know. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Look forward to seeing more of your TikToks and learning more about you and and uh, all the success. This is I don't want to say goodbye. <laughs> I want to thank Chelsea once again for being my first episode and my very willing <laughs> consensual guinea pig. I'm going to suggest everyone follow her on TikTok. Her handle is at Chelsea underscore Nicole 82. I'm going to spell that because it's a little bit interesting in the spelling. C-H-E-L-S-E-Y underscore N-I-C-H-O-L-E 82. Special thanks to Chelsea. Thanks to all you who are tuning in and care at all about listening to the TikTok therapist and um, destigmatizing mental health and just learning a little bit about us and what we do and making mental health and reaching out to your therapist a little more accessible and a little more maybe easy to do if you're having a hard time reaching out. Looking very much forward to my next interview.